Good morning. I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 22. And we, we have a, you could say, an atypical uh, sermon this morning. The Bible is written in such a way that sometimes it makes sense to preach two sermons on five verses, which is what I did the previous uh, weeks there in chapter 22, verses 15 to 19. But sometimes it makes sense to preach one sermon and even a relatively short sermon at that, on 87 verses. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Some, sometimes the Scripture just it summons you to, to, to dig into the details and mine out the riches. And at other times, it really is beneficial and helpful to see how the, the whole storyline is unfolding all at once. And I really think this is a, an example uh, of the latter this morning. So I'm going to read from Genesis 22, verse 22, I'm sorry, verse 20, all the way to the end of chapter 24. Holy Scripture says, Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ruma, bore Teba, Geham, Tehash, and Maacah. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, 
And Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking... Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. 
She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister. Thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? I, for I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me, but he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son, from my clan, and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, "'Send me away to my master.' Her brother and her mother said, 
Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they, went away, so they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of the Lord, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would draw us into what you are doing, that you would conform our hearts and minds to your will, your plan, your agenda for our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The focus of this unfolding drama is reflected in my sermon title, Passing the Baton, Part 1. Although Abraham lives another 38 years after Sarah's death, as far as the Genesis narrative is concerned, Abraham's life is winding down after the high-water mark of his obedience in chapter 22, verses 16 to 18. After Abraham demonstrated his willingness to sacrifice Isaac, the Lord commended Abraham for his obedience, and the Lord assured Abraham that he would most certainly keep his promises to Abraham. And after that climactic moment of obedience... Abraham is now on the verge of making a gracious exit from the scene. And the, there's, a, there's a shift from a focus on Abraham to a focus on Abraham's offspring. Remember, part of the Lord's initial promise to Abraham in Genesis 12:3 was, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But the Lord's final promise to Abraham in chapter 22, verse 18 is, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And last week we talked extensively about understanding what Abraham's offspring is, but it certainly includes Isaac. The Lord's covenant promises are being moved forward to and through the next generation. And that's, that's what's happening in this passage in Genesis uh, chapter 22, verses 20 to 24, Abraham receives news about his extended family. We know that Abraham had two brothers, Nahor and Haran. We learned that in chapter 11. Haran had died decades earlier while the family still lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. 
And we learned back in Genesis 11 that uh, his other brother, Nahor, had married his niece, Milcah. And then Nahor and Milcah dropped out of the narrative at the end of chapter 11, but now they resurface at the end of chapter 22. As it turns out, Nahor and Milcah had eight children, all named for us, and Nahor had four additional children through his concubine. Nahor probably had many grandchildren, but only two are mentioned in these verses. One is Aram, and the other one, and this is, this is the really important part of what's being conveyed to us, is that Bethuel fathered Rebekah. And since we know how the storyline unfolds, we know that this is the most important detail. Readers of Genesis meet Rebekah, soon to be the wife of Isaac. And this sets the stage for chapter 24, but before chapter 24 comes chapter 23. So let's look at chapter 23. At the beginning of chapter 23, we learn that Sarah died at the age of 127. She died in Hebron. Abraham and Sarah had lived for many years in Hebron, and then they had moved uh, into the land of Gerar and then into the land of Beersheba. Um, Whatever their travels or housing situation may have been at this juncture, this is several, probably several years after Abraham returned to Beersheba near the end of chapter 22. Uh, Sarah had ended up being back in Hebron where she died. And for Abraham, Sarah's death was a heartbreaking moment. We're told that Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Abraham and Sarah had been married when they lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. And so they'd probably been married for close to 100 years. And keep in mind that they were also uh, half-siblings. They had the same father. So Abraham had known Sarah, his, uh, Abraham had known Sarah almost his whole life, and Sarah had known Abraham her whole life. Under the gracious promises of God, they had shared together extensive travels, as well as the gamut of human experience, from the pain of barrenness to the joy of Isaac's birth, from all kinds of tense circumstances to the Lord's reliable protection wherever they went. Now Sarah was gone and Abraham wept. Even so, the majority of chapter 23 is about Abraham's successful attempt to obtain a burial site for Sarah. Abraham wanted to buy, uh, to, 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 to bury Sarah in a plot of land that he himself owned. And the problem, of course, is that Abraham was a sojourner and foreigner, verse 4, in the land of Canaan. One of the Canaanite peoples was the Hittites, with whom Abraham interacts with throughout the chapter. Abraham makes a request of the Hittites that they might give him property for a burying place, verse 4. When a foreigner makes a request of the natives, it is especially helpful if the foreigner has a good reputation with the natives. And Abraham, the foreigner, was held in high regard by the Hittites, as evidenced by the fact that they tell him, you are a prince of God among us, verse Six. This is another indication that God had blessed Abraham and had made Abraham great in the presence of the pagans. The, the Hittites were willing to allow Abraham the use of any of their tombs. 
Abraham, however, had his sights on one particular area, the cave of Machpelah, in a field owned by Ephron, the son of Zoar, verses 8 and 9. Further, Abraham didn't merely want permission to use this cave. He wanted to buy it outright and obtain legal ownership of the property. For Ephron's part, he was willing to give the field and the cave as a gift to Abraham, verses 10 and 11, but Abraham insisted on paying for it himself with his own money, verse 13. Ephron agreed to accept payment from Abraham, and so Abraham paid 400 shekels of silver, verse 16, and obtained legal ownership of the land. Verses 17 and 18 highlight the fact that this was a legal transaction. The property was deeded over to Abraham in the site of the Hittites at the city gate, the place where important business was transacted in the ancient world. Why did Abraham insist on paying for the land when he could have received it as a gift? Well, the text doesn't tell us. Perhaps he had the same mindset that he had when he refused gifts from the king of Sodom back in chapter 14. Do you remember? He said to the king of Sodom, I would not take a, th- a thread or a sandal strap of anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Abraham would not be indebted to the king of Sodom. And perhaps here, he did not want to be indebted to the pagan Hittites. Apart from that consideration, there's also the simple reality that it is honorable for a man of means to dignify his deceased loved ones by assuming the cost of burial. Perhaps Abraham didn't want to offer his dear wife a resting place that he himself hadn't paid for. Once Abraham obtained possession of the field and cave, he proceeded to lay the body of Sarah to rest, verse 19. Although Abraham was a sojourner and foreigner in the land of Canaan, And although Abraham's offspring would not inherit the land of Canaan for several hundred years into the future, nevertheless, at the age of 137, Abraham obtained for himself a very tiny part of his offspring's future inheritance. Abraham was buried alongside his wife in the same cave 38 years later, And the end of the book of Genesis tells us that in this very same cave, Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Leah were also laid to rest. Now we're ready for chapter 24. The end of chapter 22 introduced us to Rebekah. Chapter 23 recounted the death and burial of Sarah. Rebekah is introduced into the narrative just before Sarah steps away from it, and that's very deliberate, and now it is time for Isaac to meet Rebekah, and this comes about through Abraham's initiative to find Isaac a wife. Genesis 24, 1 begins, now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. Abraham was 10 years older than Sarah, so he was 137 years old when Sarah died, and when you put a couple of other passages together, we know that Abraham was 140 years old when Isaac uh, got married to Rebekah. So when it says that Abraham was well advanced in years, it's referring to the fact that he was in his late 130s. And 
And then verse 1 continues by telling us that the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And so what follows here is a aged and, and, and seasoned Abraham, blessed by God, taking initiative to find his son a wife. Abraham is oper- operating out of a place of blessedness, from a place of confidence in God's faithfulness and provision. For Abraham had experienced the blessing of God, the favor of God in all things, throughout the course of several decades. The task at hand is to find Isaac a wife. In order to do this, Abraham commissions his oldest and chief servant to go to Abraham's extended family, the extended family we learned about at the end of chapter 22, and take a wife for Isaac. Abraham doesn't merely commission his servant, but he binds his servant under an oath. Verses 2 to 4, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. At a very basic level, Abraham's approach anticipates the fact that Deuteronomy chapter 7 will prohibit the Israelites from intermarrying with the Canaanites. And the reason for this prohibition is not the preservation of ethnic purity, but the preservation of faithful devotion to the Lord. It says in Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. In due course, Isaac will have two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, like his father Isaac, will marry within Abraham's extended family. Esau, on the other hand, married to Canaanite women. And as we will soon learn, Esau's whole life was off track to his own ruin. The carryover principle for Christians is that a Christian must only marry another Christian that husband and wife might follow the Lord together. We don't know how established all this thinking was in Abraham's mind in Genesis chapter 24, but his approach establishes a pattern that carries through the rest of the Bible. In verse 5, the servant envisions the possibility that the woman he finds won't be willing to make the trip to Canaan. And in that scenario, the servant asks if he should take Isaac to Abraham's native country. Abraham's answer in verses 6 to 8 displays both clarity and confidence. First, the clarity. Uh, He gives a clear answer to the question. Verse 6, see to it that you do not take my son back there. And he reiterates that at the end of verse 8. However, if the woman that the servant finds is unwilling to make the return trip to Canaan, then the servant will be released from the oath. But for Abraham's part, he is confident that the Lord will see to it that the servant is successful. Abraham says to his servant in verse 7, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. 
Abraham is confident that the Lord, who has demonstrated his faithfulness over and over again, will also demonstrate his faithfulness in this particular matter. And by the way, this is a really good way for faithful believers to reason and draw encouragement as we consider God's faithfulness to us in the past should encourage us that God will continue to be faithful to us in the future. In verse 9, the servant swears an oath to carry out Abraham's instruction, and then in verse 10, the servant departs with ten camels, choice gifts, and we know from later in the chapter with an entourage of fellow servants. The 52 verses that run from verses 10 to 61 tell us about the servant's faithful implementation of the assignment given to him. Thus the servant makes his way to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor, verse 10. The phrase, the city of Nahor, does not necessarily mean that the city was named Nahor, but may simply mean that this is the city that was associated with Nahor, Abraham's brother. In other words, the city of Nahor may simply refer to the fact that this is where Nahor and Nahor's family lived, which of course are the people that the servant intended to visit. The word translated Mesopotamia is literally Aram Naharaim, and many scholars think that it refers to the same place called Haran at the end of chapter 11. Abraham, though originally from Ur, had settled in Haran, and at that time, Nahor, it sounds like from chapter 11 that Nahor was still in Ur, but apparently Nahor and his family eventually moved to Haran in northwestern Mesopotamia in modern-day Syria. The servant arrived at the place where Nahor's family lived, and one of the things that stands out about Abraham's servant is that he was not a, he was not a pragmatist. He was not you know, following some how-to manual or clever gimmicks to find a bride for Isaac. He was leaning on the Lord. He was prayerful. He was asking the Lord for success and very specific guidance. You see that in verses 12 to 14. Oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. If you had a trusted old servant who had walked with you for many years as this servant had with Abraham, would it be evident that your faith had rubbed off on your servant? A Abraham's servant displays a vibrant faith. He sees the whole situation in view of the Lord's covenant with Abraham, twice referring to the Lord showing steadfast love to Abraham in verses 12 and 14. The servant has a very high view of the Lord's active involvement in this particular matter, believing that there is a woman whom the Lord has appointed for Isaac. 
And the servant also believes that the Lord is able to grant him success and reveal to him the appointed bride. He had learned to walk with God. The servant's prayer sets the stage for what follows in verses 15 to 20. A certain Rebecca acts in accordance with how the servant had just prayed. And this prompted the servant to gaze at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Verse 21. At this point, after Rebecca had given drink to the camels, the servant gives Rebecca some gifts of jewelry and then inquires about her father and inquires if there is room in her father's house for him to spend the night, which there is. The servant would have known the names of Abraham's extended family members. So when Rachel identified herself as the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor in verse 24, the servant knew that the Lord had led him to Abraham's kinsmen. And in view of these favorable circumstances and the forthcoming hospitality from Rebekah's family, the servant honored the Lord, bowing his head in worship. Verses 26 to 28. Now, in, in view of these remarkable circumstances, this is not the sort of thing that happens at the village well every day. Rebecca ran and told her mother's household about these things, verse 28. And then Rebecca's brother Laban took the lead in showing hospitality to Abraham's servant, his other traveling companions, and his camels. Food was set before them to eat, but the servant was rightly focused on the business at hand, and he would not eat until he had told Rebecca's family why he was there. Moving to verses 34 to 49, we can summarize these verses in very short order because it's simply Abraham's servant recounting to Rebecca's family what we, we ourselves have been learning about in the previous verses. In verses 35 to 36, he shares that blessed Abraham and Sarah have a son who is the sole heir of Abraham's large estate. In verses 37 to 41, the servant recounts the commission that Abraham had given him to find Isaac a son, to, to find Isaac a wife. In verses 42 to 47, the servant explains what had happened when he came to the city and how he had prayed for specific guidance from the Lord, and how Rebecca's actions corresponded to what he had prayed about, and how he had learned of her family background and gave her jewelry. In verse 48, he tells them that in light of all these things, he worshipped the Lord, honoring the God of his master, Abraham. So th think about this. Abraham's servant knows what God is up to here. But he knows that he can't impose himself on Rebekah's family. The servant knows what the Lord has done in leading him to Rebekah, but Rebekah's family has to be persuaded in their own minds that this matter is from the Lord. If a man comes up to a young woman and her family that he has known for only a few hours and says, I know it is God's will for her to marry my master's son, you are not going to give your consent unless you are persuaded that it is from the Lord and it is the Lord's will. And this is why the servant's retelling of the background leading up to the specific circumstances of that day is so important because Rebecca's family needs to know that the, that the servant is not attempting to pull a fast one. 
For the servant's part, he, he knows that Rebecca's family must give their consent freely. And so in verse 49, he says, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. The answer given by Rebecca's brother Laban and father Bethuel is beautiful. The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. Once you are persuaded that a matter has come from the Lord, once you are convinced that the Lord has spoken, the only fitting response is to yield yourself to the Lord's will. While you're in the process of discerning the Lord's will, our respective opinions might matter as we're attempting to sort it out. But once we know the Lord's will, our opinions are neither here nor there. It is not wise to speak bad or good out of our own personal opinions and feelings once the Lord's will is clear to our mind as it was to the mind of Laban and Bethuel. They knew that the Lord had done it. Therefore, as Rebekah's protectors, they knew that they needed to release Rebekah to become the wife of Abraham's son. After receiving this favorable reply, the servant once again paid homage to the Lord, the faithful worshiper. Then he gave additional gifts to Rebekah and also gave valuable gifts to Rebekah's brother and mother. Only after transacting these important matters and essentially drawing up the marriage contract, only then did the servant and his traveling companions eat and drink before retiring for the night. And the next morning, Abraham's servant was not of a disposition to hang out and relax. He was ready to return with Rebekah to his master. Rebekah's brother and, and mother, understandably, wanted Rebekah to hang around for at least a week and a half. I mean, two days ago, this wasn't even on their radar screen. But the servant was urgent in verse 56. Do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. At this point, Rebekah's brother and mother decided to put the ball in Rebekah's court. And Rebekah indicated her willingness to go and so in short order, Rebekah and her nurse were accompanying Abraham's servant and, and the other men with him on the journey to the land of Canaan. Bethuel's family sent Rebekah away with a wonderful word of blessing, which I'll return to shortly. And the passage concludes in verses 62 to 67 with the servant taking Rebekah all the way to Isaac, who was dwelling in the Negev in southern Canaan. For Isaac... Again, not your typical evening. An evening of meditation and walking in the field unexpectedly and quickly and wonderfully turned into his wedding night. The servant informed Isaac about all that had transpired in recent days, and then Isaac and Rebekah were joined together in marriage. Let's, let's, let's hear the whole thing again, these final verses. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man 
walking in the field to meet us. The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Thus concludes our 87-verse passage. Now, uh, before I get to the, the main lesson here, this passage is not a how-to manual for pursuing good burial practices, finding a wife, or discerning God's will. Even if, even if the passage could be mined for nuggets of wisdom on such topics, and I don't doubt that it could be mined, they aren't the main point. Closer to the main point, but still not the main point, is that we could ponder the praiseworthy example of Abraham's servant. I mean, he really is commendable. In chapter 24, Abraham is named. Isaac is named. Sarah is named. Rebekah is named. Laban is named. Bethuel is named. Abraham's servant is not named. Unnamed, but faithful. He identifies himself simply in verse 34, I am Abraham's servant. This unnamed servant is an exemplary servant. He prayerfully depends on the Lord. He humbly worships the Lord. He conducts himself honorably and honestly as he relates to other people. And he faithfully, diligently, promptly, and successfully carries out the work assigned him. Abraham's servant is the type of servant who will one day hear the great commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. Even so, there can be no doubt that the main point of this passage is God's faithfulness in seeing to it that the baton is passed from Abraham and Sarah to Isaac and Rebekah. And this passing of the baton comes to the foreground in at least three ways. First, did you notice that the servant's final reference to his master involved a switch from Abraham to Isaac? Throughout chapter 24, the servant is over and over again referring to his master Abraham. But this changes at the end of chapter 24. When Rebekah first sets her eyes on Isaac, she didn't know that it was Isaac. So Rebekah asked the servant, who is that man? And the servant replied, it is my master. Of course, on a purely factual level, Abraham's servants would also be Isaac's servants. But in terms of the flow of Genesis, what's happening is that Isaac is being set forth as the new master in place of his father, Abraham. Second, do you remember who was weeping for Sarah at the beginning of chapter 23? Abraham, right? Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her, Genesis 23 too. But who is the one who finds comfort for his grief at the loss of Sarah at the end of chapter 24? Isaac, chapter 24, verse 67. Then Isaac brought her Rebekah, into the tent of Sarah, 
his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The comparison is profound. In Genesis 23, 2, it's Abraham grieving the loss of his wife. But at the end of chapter 24, it is Isaac in Sarah's tent, and the newlywed is comforted after the death of his mother, he's comforted in the presence of his new bride. In this way, we are meant to behold the changing of the guard. The torch of covenant promises is being passed to Isaac and Rebekah. Third, do you remember the promises that the Lord made to Abraham in chapter 22, verses 16 to 18? Two of those promises were, I will surely multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. That's Genesis 22:17. Remarkably, when Rebekah's family blessed her at the time of her departure, their words of blessing echo God's promises to Abraham. Genesis 24:60 says, "And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, "Our sister, May you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. The blessing spoken over Rebekah is that she would have innumerable descendants, like the promise made to Abraham, and that her offspring would possess the gate of his enemies, like the promise made to Abraham. Once again, the point is obvious. Sarah has died, and Abraham will soon follow her but God's promises will live on in the next generation through this man, Isaac, and through this woman, Rebekah. And this is the faithfulness of God, to see to it that His promises never fall to the ground, but to ensure that they endure through the ages and are brought to their intended fulfillment. The baton would be passed for millennia, until it was placed into the hands of a young couple from Nazareth. The holy offspring, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and born of the Virgin Mary, would seal all of God's promises with His blood, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. Then and now, we must anchor our lives in the promises that never fail in the word that continues on from generation to generation. As the prophet Isaiah declared, the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. Sarah, Abraham, all the rest. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 7 and 8. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would anchor our lives in the faithfulness of God, in your promises in your determination to do all that you have said. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.